0: You take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Now, while you're turning there, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine with me this morning that you're walking down the sidewalk of First Avenue here in St. Thomas. You're walking down the sidewalk of First Avenue And you are almost to the intersection of First and Talbot, the main intersection of St. Thomas, the hustle and bustle, okay? It's so busy there, right? Think about that. You're getting there. You're getting almost close to it. And right at the intersection of First and Talbot, you witness a car accident. Imagine that. You hear the screeching. You hear the big bang. You hear the crashing. You hear maybe even the, the gasps of other people walking around you rush over to the intersection you're at the scene of the car accident and you witness three groups of people three groups of people each has a different response toward those involved in the car accident there's people involved in the accident and there are three groups of people on the outside that are involved in the accident the first group is the bystanders or the onlookers The people who witnessed this horrendous event, they are curious. And they're sitting there watching, standing there to see what happens. But they have very little active involvement. The second group is the police officers. Oh, our favorite group of people, right? The police officers, their response is to investigate the cause of the accident. Their response is to assign blame. That's their response. They get to give the tickets out. I've been in a car accident. (laughs) And I don't like it when you have to pay for your vehicle and the ticket because you did something wrong. Police are not very merciful people. They are to give appropriate warnings and punishments, the police officers. The third group is the paramedics. Third group is the paramedics. They are the people usually most welcomed By those involved in the accident. They could care less whose fault the accident was. They did not engage in lecturing about bad driving habits. Their response was simply to help those who were hurting. That was their response. They bandaged wounds. They freed trapped people. And they gave words of encouragement. It's going to be okay. Three groups of people. One is uninvolved. One is assigning blame and the other and assessing punishment, and one is helping the hurting. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think about our story today. Our story today involves a group, three different groups of people. Now, it's not necessarily a car accident, okay? But our story today involves a major problem that is happening at the time. So let's go ahead and take a look at this story here in Mark chapter 2. Go all the way down to verse 23. Mark chapter 2 and verse 23. The Bible says this, And it came to pass that he, being Jesus, went through the cornfields on, notice this, the Sabbath day. And his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Here we see already two groups of people. We see the Pharisees and the disciples. The Pharisees and the disciples. And now this is where the Pharisees will often get picky. Okay, If you have any knowledge, a Bible knowledge whatsoever, you know that the Pharisees are extremely picky about the Sabbath day. They, I mean, the Bible tells us, in fact, let's go ahead and and see that. The Bible tells us it's one of the Ten Commandments, that the exact phrase is this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay, remember, this is how it's exactly written in, excuse me, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so these Pharisees are doing this. They want to keep the Sabbath day holy. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Again, don't miss that. One of the Ten Commandments. This is one of the Big Ten that you're not supposed to break. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands of commandments in the Bible, but these are the Big Ten. These are the ones written down in stone, the ones that you're not supposed to break. These are the Ten Commandments. But we need to understand just a little bit of the background of the Sabbath. I'll try not to spend too much time here. But Sabbath literally means intermission. Intermission. From Strong's Dictionary, it means intermission. It means break, to take a break. It means rest. It means to desist from exertion. It's my favorite day of the year already, right? Rest, relaxation, uh, intermission. Don't exert yourself. So when I get up to get my coffee, I just get up real slow. Easy, saunter over, push the button, out comes coffee and I just drink it. I I just love this wonderful picture. There's even an example of the Sabbath day when God created the world. When God spoke the world into existence, the Bible tells us that he, six days he spent creating the world. But on the seventh day, he rested. He gave us an example. God rested on the seventh day. The Sabbath was implemented and set aside for a day of rest in which, don't miss this, no work was to be done because that's the example the Lord gave us. Now, like any good religious person, the Pharisees would take this way to the extreme. I want to read you some things that they did. Okay, For example, if you traveled more than 3,000 feet from your home, that was forbidden. Now, where'd they come up with the number 3,000 feet? I have no idea. 3,000 feet. An object tossed into the air could be caught with the same hand. But if it was caught with the other hand, it would be a Sabbath violation. Crazy. A tailor could not carry his needle. A scribe could not carry his pen. A student could not carry his books. You could only have enough ink to write two letters Of the alphabet. I don't know. (laughs) And enough that that's how much ink you could carry with you. Clothes could not be examined or shaken out before putting on because an insect might be killed in the process, which would be work. Crazy. No fire could be lit or put out. No fire could be lit or put out. Cold water could be poured into warm water, but not warm water into cold water. Again, I don't know. This is from from the Talmud. You can look this up. Uh, An egg could not be cooked. Nothing could be sold or bought. I love this one. Bathing was forbidden. (laughs) Teenagers are like, Yeah! Bathing was forbidden lest water be spilled on the floor and washing it you would work. Crazy. Moving a chair was not allowed since it might make a rut in a dirt floor which was too much like plowing. I, lo- I love this one. I love this one. This one. This one I think is my favorite. Women were forbidden to look in a mirror. <laughs> Here's the reason why. Since if they saw a white hair, they might be tempted to pull it out. Absolutely crazy. But listen, this is exactly what they were doing. And there were so many laws over the Sabbath. In fact, it said in the Talmud, there's 24 chapters on what you cannot do on the Sabbath. A, a priest or someone who is a student, again, this is just uh, what has been said, would take two and a half years to study one chapter. They cared about the Sabbath day. They cared about keeping it holy, they cared about keeping it separate for God, for the purposes of God. And so we see the first two groups of people, we see the disciples, the sinners, because man, how dare they reach up and grab an ear of corn. And we read in the other parallel passage that they wring it in their hands, breaking off the corn, and they're eating it. That is way, way, way too much work. So we have the sinners, and we have the Pharisees. The sinners who are breaking the sabbatical law, and the Pharisees, the people who were keeping it and enforcing it. The Sabbath was a holy day, consecrated to the Lord. In fact, in uh, Exodus chapter 31, we read that it was a sign between the Jewish people and the Lord, that they were the Lord's people. There was to be no work done on the Sabbath day. Now all of us look at this and go, seriously? Really? Really? Like, come on, surely there could be something that we could do. What in the world? Why would God care so much about working on the Sabbath day? Why would he make this rule? Some of us would even say, why would God want to control every aspect of my life? That's a little overkill. Why would we want, why would he want to keep me from getting these things done that I need to get done? We all have things we need to get done. We all have things that we need to accomplish in our lives. And sometimes the the Sabbath day is the only day that we have. So why would he put so much restriction on it? So if you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down, would you? The sinners viewed it as a restriction. The Pharisees viewed it as a pretension. Don't miss that. Okay? The sinners viewed it as a restriction. How dare you be so restrictive? The Pharisees viewed it as a pretension. The sinners thought this is way too restrictive, okay? I need my space. I need to do what I want to do. I need some room to breathe. God's not going to tell me what to do. I'm a free person. I can think the way that I want to think. And so maybe you sit here this morning and you kind of think this way. God's not going to tell me what to do. I need my space. I need a little bit of freedom. I need to get out and do my own thing. I need some breathing room. Maybe you would say, I'm I'm not going to church every Sunday. I'll go to church every other Sunday or once a month or whatever. Or you're not going to tell me that I can't drink alcohol. Or you're not going to tell me that I have to give 10% of my money. You're not going to tell me that. That's too restrictive. Now, the Pharisees were on the other side of this coin. They were using this as a pretension. A pretension. This is a way to impress more people with how holy I am. So they used it as a way to enhance their appearance before men. A pretension. They were putting on pretenses. This is a way that I can look more holy than I am. I can appear more godly than I am. This is a way to make it look good on the outside. Don't miss this. So that nobody will know what's going on on the inside. It's a way for me to put on pretenses so nobody will look inside. They will say, wow, he's got his life all together. This is how the Pharisees were viewing it. In fact, we learn from Matthew chapter 23 that they cared far more about their appearance before men than they did anything about God. So maybe you are sitting here this morning and you're thinking something like this Why aren't all of these people coming to church? And I drive through the city and I look and there's not people coming to church. In fact, you're maybe sitting next to some, or not sitting next to somebody today because they're not here today. And you're thinking, why aren't they here? They should be here. Wicked sinners. <laughs> I go to church every Sunday morning. In fact, I read my Bible. I give 10% of my income and you don't. You're wicked. Don't look at me like that. I'm not the only one saying that. Listen, you, all of us do that to some extent. All of us think, man, I do this and somebody's not doing that. That must mean they're wicked. Enter the third group, which is not really a group, it's Jesus. Jesus is now entering, and Jesus is trying to teach us something in this passage. So look at verse 25. Mark chapter 2 and verse 25. And he, being Jesus, said unto them, Have ye never read? By the way, stop there just for a second. I love that. Have ye never read? This was an insult to them. Of course they have read. They have read everything in the Old Testament. They were the students of the law. He was insulting them. Hey, you bunch of dummies. Now, Jesus would never say that. Don't you read? Didn't you read this? What? What did you read? What David did when he had need and wasn't hungered, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat. It's only lawful for the priest, but for the priest. And gave also to them which were with him. Watch verse 27. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, I could could spend a bunch of time here going back to David, but just understand, David went to the priest and said, I'm hungry, and the people around us are hungry, and they were actually fleeing from Saul, and they needed food. The table of showbread, the bread that was there, that was only for the priests. And the priest goes in, takes it and gives it to David to sustain he and his men for another period of time. And so Jesus is saying, listen, it's not that big of a deal, guys. Now, there will be people who read this and say, okay, good. That means whatever Jesus says is flexible. That's when whenever the commands of God are given, they're flexible, right? So So a lot of people will approach the scripture that way. Well, I get to do what I want with this passage. It's okay to break the commands of God. Obviously, Jesus did. He allowed his disciples to. But that's not the lesson Jesus is teaching us here today. Again, if you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. The lesson that Jesus is teaching us is this. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You can see that in verse 27. If you're falling asleep, stay with me. We're getting somewhere. Understand this. The Sabbath was given to man for rest. For rest. It was not a restriction, and it was not a pretension. It was a way to rest and recharge. So you have a group of sinners who are thinking, man, what a restriction. I don't want that restriction. And there's another group of people saying over here, look at how holy I am because I'm keeping the Sabbath. I don't walk too fast on the Sabbath. I don't do the things that you are doing. But Jesus is saying, neither of those are right. I gave it to you so that you could rest. Don't overcomplicate it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was a way to stop for one day out of the week and just put off the things of this life and just rest. No pretension, no forcible confinement, just rest. Just a day to rest. Man needs to rest. And then verse 28, he doesn't stop there. He says, therefore, because this was made for man, the Son of Man is Lord also, of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus is Lord of rest. Jesus is Lord of rest. A parallel passage to Mark chapter 2 is actually Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. So if you'll turn over there with me. Matthew chapter 12 is a parallel passage. Mark says, tells the story one way. Matthew tells it another from a different, a little bit of a different perspective. But Matthew chapter 12, you can see at verse 1, at that time went uh, on the Sabbath, Jesus went on the Sabbath day, threw the corn and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and eat. You can see it's the same thing. But I want you to stop right there and I want you to go back into chapter 11. Look at verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. Look what he says. Come. Unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't miss this. Jesus is the Lord of rest. Jesus is the Lord of rest. Rest. Don't miss it. Jesus is the Lord of rest. He's the Lord of Sabbath. He wants the sinner, the restricted sinner who thinks, man, you're giving me too much. He just says, come here. I just want you to rest. To the the Pharisee who's all religious and says, man, I want to do all this to make myself look good. He says, come here. I just want you to rest. You're heavy laden. You're working too hard. You're committed to this. Listen, I understand your intentions may be good, but you're doing too much. Just come rest. Hey, sinner, I want what's best for you. Come rest. I want to give you rest. When you come to me, you will find rest. Jesus wants to give you today, you, rest. Jesus wants to give you rest. Jesus truly wants what is best for you. Don't miss this. Jesus doesn't want to restrict you. Jesus doesn't want to reign over you like, ha, 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 ha now I got him. That's not Jesus. Jesus wants to give you rest. And he certainly does not want to uh, allow you to have pretenses. He wants to give you rest. Why? Why does Jesus want to give you rest? Why? Because Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares about you and he's reaching out to you. And if you're in the habit of writing things down, I, I challenge you to write this one down as well. Hypocrites care about what you do. But Jesus cares about you. Hypocrites care about what you do. Right? Pharisees over here. Hey, you're doing the wrong thing. Why are you doing that which is unlawful? Why, 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 do, 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 do. And Jesus is over here saying, listen, I care about you. I care about you. I, I, I gave the Sabbath so that you could have rest. You see, God created us. Genesis chapter 1. God created us. He, he spoke us into existence. He took the, the dust of the earth and he breathed into it and gave it the breath of life. God created us. He knows what will help us live our lives to the fullest potential. He knows what will allow us to be great. He knows what we'll give, he can give our lives so that we can live it more abundantly. So he knows that a Sabbath is necessary. He knows that a Sabbath, a rest day, is essential for human beings. He knows that. So he's not trying to restrict you. He's trying to save you from burnout. All perspective, isn't it? Let's think about a few things. Again, if we work seven days a week, we will burn out. We will be unproductive for the kingdom of God. We need a day of rest. God commands us that we should abstain from fornication. God commands that. And we go, ah, man, Sex is so much fun. We think, God is so restrictive. God doesn't want me to have any fun. But here's the thing. God created us. God knows that sex outside of marriages causes us all kinds of problems. It causes physical problems. They're called STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. There's a reason they're called that. All kinds of physical problems. It causes emotional problems. The Bible tells us that when a man and a woman come together in a physical relationship, they become one. And then you go and do that with someone else, and you go and do that with someone else, and you go and do that with someone else. You're creating this emotional baggage, and it's a trainload of emotional baggage. So God isn't trying to restrict you from having fun. He's trying to protect you from all kinds of pain. God commands us not to be intoxicated. Drugs, alcohol, you fill in the blank. But again, you might think, God, you're trying to keep me from having a good time. Man, when I get a few drinks, I get real loose. I can have a good time. No, God knows that when we are intoxicated, we don't think properly. And he knows that we always need to make good decisions. And when we're intoxicated, we don't make good decisions. He knows that every decision has consequences. And he's just trying to keep us from making some really poor decisions. So it's not restrictive. The list could go on. What about love? God commands us to love. He knows that love produces happiness, joy, peace, and intimacy. Jesus wants you to uh, be thankful. In fact, he says, in everything, give thanks. Why? Because thankfulness keeps us from depression and anxiety. God commands us and wants us to experience true joy. He wants us to experience a life that is full. He wants us to experience the life that he has designed for us. And so if you're in the mode of restrictiveness, God, you're too restrictive Listen, take it from a perspective that God just wants the best for you. God wants you to live your life to the fullest. He, does, he wants to keep you from a whole lot of trouble. But there's another perspective. There's the other group that says, ha, I don't have sex outside of marriage. Ha, I don't drink. Ha, you bunch of sinners, you're dirty, rotten, you're terrible, you're all this good, bad, ugly, you're terrible people, you're wicked, vile. And I stand over here, and I'm not doing any of those things, but just like the Pharisees, we are whited sepulchers. Outside we look really good, but on the inside we're full of dead men's bones. We don't have a relationship with God. Our hearts, in fact, we'll see this in just a minute, our hearts are hardened to the things of God. We don't actually care about these people. Because they're sinners, they're wicked, they're vile. We don't care about them. I don't care about that person that I passed this morning going the opposite way of church. Again, hypocrites care about what you do, but Jesus cares about you. I love this. Jesus often doesn't just give us principles to live by. He often shows us how these things play out. So let's continue on in the story. Mark chapter 3. The Bible says this in verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they, being the Pharisees, watched him. Watch whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day. For what purpose? That they might accuse him. There are some commentators that believe that the Pharisees brought this man into the synagogue for the sole purpose because they knew Jesus was compassionate. We don't really know. We just know this man is here, and they're standing on the outside saying, come on, go ahead, heal him so we can accuse you. And he saith unto the man which had the wither hand, he being Jesus, stand forth. Come on, come up here. And he saith unto them, the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Love it. But they held their peace. But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with what? Anger being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And obviously, the Pharisees, verse 6, went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. In a way, this man with a withered hand was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was the center of some serious contention, some serious battle, a serious uh, hard time going on, and he was the one, quote, in the accident. But at the same time, I want you to understand that he was in the right place at the right time. He was at the right place at the right time. He was miraculously going to receive the use of his hand. I wish the Bible gave us more details as to how his hand was withered, what came about. But the Bible doesn't. But I want you to notice the Pharisees did not care one bit about this man. They did not want to see Jesus heal him for the praise and glory of God. Why did they want to see Jesus heal him? So they could accuse Jesus. They didn't care one bit about this was just a pawn to be used in their game of chess. They didn't care about his withered hand. They didn't care that he couldn't work. They only cared about what was being done on the Sabbath day. Hear me, they had gotten their priorities out of balance. They had gotten their priorities out of balance. Jesus cared about this man. So much so that he was willing to, To heal him and do good on the Sabbath day. But at the same time, notice verse 5 again. He was grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He was grieved for the hardness of their hearts. I'm bringing it to a close here, so if you're going to pay attention again, pay attention to this. How does this play out in our lives? There are people all over this city that need Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. We say that probably here every week but don't miss that. There are people all over this city that need Jesus Christ. There are people all over this this province. There are people all over this country. There are people all over this world that need Jesus Christ. But we, Bible Baptist Church, we, the people of Bible Baptist Church, we are Pharisaical. And we are hypocrites. And you know what? And you know what we do? We look down on them because they don't go to church on Sunday. We look down on them because they do drugs all day, every day. We look down on them because they don't dress the way that we dress. We look down on them because they don't listen to the same music that we listen to them. We look down on them because maybe they had to, had an abortion. We look down on them maybe because they're open, homo, homosexual. homosexual. We look down on them because they, quote, don't have it all together. But we, we come, we look good. We go to church on Sunday. We read our Bibles. We definitely don't do drugs. We definitely don't drink. We definitely don't do this and do that and do all I mean, all of these different things. And so what happens is what's natural, we start looking down on those people. We start saying, Oh, come on, get here where I am. You should be doing what I'm doing. And we begin complaining about them and we begin putting them down. What's your problem? Why are you living that way? Don't you know you shouldn't fill in the blank. We looked on we looked down on them. But understand, we've forgotten who they are. We've forgotten who they are. They are people for whom Christ died. Every drug addict in our city is someone Christ died for. I was reminded this week, Vladimir Putin, Christ died for him. Isn't that hard to imagine? Justin Trudeau, Christ died for him. Doug Ford, Christ died for him. Listen, I don't really care what you believe about these men. But listen, Christ died for them. We forget who they are. Christ died for them. They are people to whom Jesus wants to give rest. Again, if you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down. We need to care enough to reach out with Jesus. We, we're not the ones who reach out because we have something to offer them. We need to reach out with Jesus. Jesus is the one. Let me ask you this morning, where are you with Jesus? Where are you with Jesus? Maybe you're a sinner in need of Jesus today. Jesus cares so much about you that he, and he loved you so much. That he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for you. Jesus died on a cross for you. Jesus cared so much about this man in the story that he didn't want to leave him without a hand. He wanted to restore his hand. Listen, Jesus doesn't want to leave you in your sin. Jesus doesn't want to leave you in your sin. He wants to deliver you. He wants to free you from that bondage. But hear me, you have to come to him. Jesus said, stand forth, and this man stands forth. You have to trust him to save you from your sin. You have to trust that he paid the debt of your sin for you. Maybe you sit here this morning and you're you're more of a Pharisee than you care to admit. Maybe you've been following the traditions of Baptists. We Baptists have traditions. Maybe we've been following the traditions of Baptists, but hear me, maybe it's just been pretenses. Please don't harden your heart. Don't put yourself above everybody else and forget that they are just as much in need of Jesus as we are. It's an old song. Written by Bill Gaither, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's it. I didn't do anything, I didn't become anyone. In fact, I can't even go to church without Jesus. Not properly. I need him in my life every single moment of every day. I need to walk in the spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of my flesh. I need Jesus. And everybody else is in the same boat. Don't harden your heart. Allow Jesus to work through you. So if you're a sinner today, reach out to Jesus. If you're a Pharisee or a hypocrite today, reach out to Jesus. And when he heals you and changes your life, and you have, quote, got your life all together don't forget to reach out to other people the thing i hate about this whole story is the pharisees could have been helping this man they could have been working they could have been giving him a little bit of money every day they could have been helping giving him a helping hand when he needed something they could have lifted him up they could have encouraged him they could have done all kinds of things but instead they put him in a position of contention they put him in a position to be ridiculed. Don't do that. Be like Jesus. Reach out to them and show them what Jesus did for you. Care more about the person than you do their actions. Care enough to reach out. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, I pray that as you have cared, you care about us you created the sabbath for us you commanded so many things father we could we could spend all day on the commands of you and how they benefit us so father thank you so much for that but help us not to live our lives in such a hard way where we forget about the person and what they need they need you so father convict us Challenge us, change us. Father, if there's one here today or one listening online that does not know you as personal Savior, they've never had their sins forgiven by you, and Father, I pray that today would be that day they would reach out to you and come to know you as personal Savior. Father, for the rest of us who think you're too restrictive, help us to reach out to you and realize why you've given us those things. To those of us who have put on pretenses, convict us, change us, help us to care more about people than we do about their actions. Father, we'll give the honor and glory to you. Pray all these things in your name.